Amen. Thank you, Eli. This morning, turn with me to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Go to Revelation and flip back a few pages. It's just three chapters and a whole lot of truth. And we're going to be starting this morning preaching through the book of 2 Peter in a series entitled You have been warned. I think that's pretty timely for the day we live in. When I ask you to remember Peter of the Bible, what do you remember? You remember Peter cutting off a servant of the priest, uh, cutting his ear off in the garden when he should have been doing something else. You remember Peter sinking in the water You'll remember Peter denying Jesus, right? We remember those things about Peter. Warren Wearsby said that the early Peter slept when he should have prayed, talked when he should have listened, was very courageous, but very careless. But we don't often think about him as an old man. The book of 2 Peter is the last letter we know that he penned through the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You see, in 2 Peter, as an uh, aged man, a man who had seen, a man who had fallen in the pitfalls, a man who had learned the hard way, he now warns Christians of the dangers of knowing and following all the wrong things. You see, during this day, there was much heresy that was not, a heresy is not something outside the church, that's just living laws. Heresy is when those in the church begin to teach lies, false truths. They begin to adjust the doctrine to fit their lifestyle, to adjust to their culture so that no one is offended and no one gets their feelings hurt. Does that sound familiar? So Peter focuses his whole attention in these three chapters. The last thing he would write, remember we told you this when we spoke and preached through 2 Timothy. There's special emphasis here. Now it's no more inspired than 1 Peter or the Gospel of John or the book of Psalms, but we must pay attention to when it was written and how it was written because Just as 2 Timothy was Paul's last will and testament, we find the last words of Peter. If you knew you were headed toward the end of your days, you start choosing your words wisely. You know, this could be the last chance I have to say this or have a chance to say anything. So this morning, we begin in 2 Peter chapter 1. But I want you to turn real quickly to our theme verse for the entire series. Look over in chapter 3, verse 17. The very first part of verse 17. He says, you therefore. What's the therefore, therefore? He's referring back to the entirety of the book. He's putting his PS. He's putting the last words. Hey, What I want you to do is remember everything I've told you. That's what he's saying. 
Therefore, and who does he speak to? Beloved, brethren. He's speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now pay attention to every single word that is said today because if we, if we doze off in our, and I'm not talking about going to sleep, but our mind just kind of shuts down, it may be during a time we really need to hear something and know. You know, it's always during the most important moments, I think, in class that I need to learn something that I kind of zoned out. And it would cost me. I'd say, it was, you didn't teach this. Oh, yes. It was during this time. Oh, yeah. I was looking out a window or something. Peter wants us to know, church. He wants us to know. To know what? Well, that's a good question. Today's message is entitled, Knowledge is Power. He said, therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, you know these things before, before you go out into the world, before you face an uncertain future, before you go back to school or go back to work, before you face an election, before you face the politics, before you face the enemy, before any of that, you know. You know. You know what? He said, because you know these things, beware. Beware. We're going to take that verse and apply it to everything we talk about for the next several weeks. It has been said and popular belief that that very famous philosopher of the uh, French or great enlightenment, don't know how great it was, but Sir Francis Bacon made the comment, knowledge is power. You ever heard that? Knowledge is power. Now you can apply that to anything. I'm a deer hunter. Used to be much more serious about deer hunting. When I had places to go and, th and, and ways to hunt, and we would spend great time and effort in preparing for the hunt. We would go pre we'd go around the calendar year. We would scout and we would look for signs of where deer were going and, and eating and what they were eating, and we would go through great, great strains to know our prey and know how to hunt for better chances at succeeding in the hunt. There's other things to know, and we read books, and we need to read. You know I am a full believer in reading but I want to tell you today, Sir Francis Bacon may have said knowledge is power, but I want to tell you that knowledge is only as powerful as to what substance you have knowledge of. What good is deer hunting in eternity? What good is knowing every person that played on the World Series Braves team? Well, that's a good conversation starter and we can pontificate about uh, why we need to elect this and why we ought to elect this but what we need to know bottom line that will give us the strength and the power in the face of all adversity is the knowledge of Jesus Christ you see what are we to know or who are we to know this in chapter 
or, or in 2 Peter, three chapters, three little small chapters, the word knowledge or know is used over 16 times. If it's repeated, then it's important. Would you agree? When you want to get your kids' attention, you repeat something, don't you? Uh, if you've got dogs, you'll learn that you have to repeat, sit, 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 stay, sit, stay, for them to start getting a hold of it. He repeats it because he knows we need to know. Know what? Well, knowledge in Greek means full discernment. It means to be completely acquainted with the subject. To know means to be made aware of, to see and to understand. There's a lot of people with head knowledge and no heart knowledge. But then here in chapter 3, he said to beware. It means to be on guard. Listen to me. It means to be on guard. It does not mean to be afraid. I don't think y'all got that. To be aware. He said, beware, be wary, be open-eyed. Does not mean to be scared. It does not mean to be afraid. It does mean to avoid and obey to preserve. And then as we look through all of this, it's, it's all, and he uses the word remembrance several times throughout this book. So I'm giving you the foundation. You say, oh, Lord, you've got to know all this if you're going to know the rest of the book. So we've got to know. We've got to know what knowledge is. We've got to know who we're supposed to know about. We must beware. What are we going to beware? We're going to watch this. But as we learn this, I don't know about you, but I have learned to quote Psalm 23. I've, I've used it at funerals, I've used it at gravesides, I've used it in RAs, I've used it in Awana, I've used it in all kinds of things. But to stand here today and tell you I could quote it without error, I would be lying to you and I'm not even going to begin to try. Because some things kind of fade, doesn't it? Some things kind of fade. Now if you've ever said, well it's like right, learning to ride a bike, you never forget how. You probably had not been on a bike in a while. You see, we must remember, bring to mind, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We're laying all the groundwork now. Philippians chapter 3. I, I used to always say with a negative connotation, I want to be like Paul, but I'm too much like Peter. Anybody identify with that? But let's not forget, first of all, Paul had a past too, okay? But Peter's past, even his bad past, he was walking with Jesus. Everybody who saves is not going to do everything right. But we forget the old Peter who did it right, who wrote these letters, who served and gave his life on a cross, no less, as a martyr for his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a bad thing to want to be like Peter. Peter was a great example to others. But Paul wrote to the church at Philippi in chapter 3. 
one of the most powerful chapters in all of the Bible. He said in chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 7, but what things were, he said, gained to me, those things that I put in my bank account, those things that I wore on my chest proudly, those things that uh, uh, consisted of my ego. Look what I know. Look what I can do. He said, I've counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the what? The excellency of the what? The knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And being found in him, not having my own righteousness. Now Paul knew. He said that I may know him and know what? That his righteousness, not mine, is the only thing that matters. When we try to do and be out of our own strength, and we say, well, I just got to make it through one more day. We missed the point. God has to get us through. I, I, people are finally catching on. And it took me a long time to understand. We've heard it shoved down our throat. We've heard it from pulpits. We've heard it from our sweet grandmas that God would never put anything on us that we can't bear. That is a lie. That is a lie. It is not biblical. What the Bible tells us is God will not allow anything in your life that he can't handle. God told Paul, he said, my grace is sufficient for my strength is perfected in your weakness. I'm not. He didn't say I'm not, but he gave the insinuation. I'm going to give you grace. I'm not going to take the thorn away. Sometimes things don't go away, but they drive us to the understanding we need Jesus and his righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Listen to this. That I may do what? That I may know him. Well, I don't believe I need to go to Sunday school. Do you want to know him? Then you need to be in a class where they're teaching about Jesus that you may know him. Are you praying? Are you praying individually? Are you praying corporately? Are you fasting? Are you going through the, uh, the spiritual disciplines of the word that you may walk with him and talk with him that I may know him? Do you know why the church has surrendered its authority, surrendered its power, surrendered its independence, surrendered its power and authority in Jesus Christ is because we don't know him. We know a semblance of him. I know if I met him in the street, I know Donald Trump, but I've never met him and I don't really know him. But I know who he is. I've seen the news. I've I've read articles. I know, and see, we think because we've read John 3, 16, we know the power of Jesus. But until it becomes uh, who we are and we become who he is by surrender to his life, we will never know the fullness of the power of his resurrection. Here's what blows our mind, the fellowship of his sufferings. We think to know the power of God means all our problems go away. All of us feel like that. I'll be the first one to be honest and think, 
When everything seems to be going wrong in my life, the first thing I think of, or I say to God, God, why I've tried to live a good life? What's that got to do with this? Paul died at the hands of murderers. Peter died at the hands of murderers. Christians around the globe are dying at the hands of ISIS and Boko Haram and other anti-Christian. The Chinese government are killing Christians wholesale. You're not going to see that on the news. Listen, this world, I want to throw in a really good bright spot that you didn't see probably on 11 o'clock news. You didn't probably see on any major cable news network. But I want to tell you something. The Bible tells us Jesus said, and we saw today, was that not powerful? To hear her with pure, unadulterated, untarnished joy in the Lord, giggling, I'm saved, I'm saved. And if any of you have any questions, I'll tell you, I challenge you to sit down and talk with us. We tried. We tried our best. To, oh, she's too... Mom and daddy did, I did, we, listen, she was adamant and very clear. I didn't even, she was, at, she was answering the questions before I could ask them. Jesus said, do not prevent the little children to come unto me, why? Because theirs is the kingdom of glory, right? Do you know this past week that U.S. Marshals, FBI, and GBI in a four-month sting rescued 30 nine children in the state of Georgia that had either been kidnapped, sold, stolen, however you want to look at it, for ungodly purposes and human trafficking. 39 children that were rescued. Yeah, didn't know that, did you? Rose knew about it. Defax was part of it. Others here knew about it heard about it. Man, is that not something to be joyous about? That, we've been praying for that, right? Let's not stop. Let's, let's not just pray, so oh, we need to pray, and then not celebrate when God answers our prayer. You see, the whole deal is that children know and we must understand that there's going to be suffering in the world. Just because you love Jesus and know Him and walk with Him doesn't mean all the world's going to run from you. But he does say that we've been made conformable unto his death. Now, I want to get into this. I want you to look at this. Take time to write it down. Knowledge of the Bible does not equal spiritual maturity. Let's not forget Satan quoted the Bible. Remember the false prophets quoted the Bible. They quoted the Torah. False prophets today quoting the Bible. Can I tell you something? This has nothing to do with race. You always worry when I say that up front, don't you? Pastor of very prominent megachurch in Georgia. It says he's a reverend, says he's a pastor said that God 
not only allows, but is for, and you can find in the Bible where abortion is biblical. I'm going to tell you the only place abortion is biblical. It's in the Bible in a certain sense. God didn't ordain it. Satan did. We see it with Moses, and we see it with Jesus. Did the kings not try to kill all the babies? Why? Why did they try to kill all the babies? Because they felt their power being threatened. Do you know why Margaret Sanger started the whole idea? To eradicate through eugenics an entire race. And the wool has been pulled over their eyes. And for a man who claims to be a reverend, to stand and pronounce such false truths, all-out, bold, heretical, apostate lies as that, Church, knowledge of the Bible does not equal spiritual maturity. Calling ourselves Christians does not deem it so. Knowing Jesus means living personally and purposefully through repentance, forgiveness, and dependence on Him. This is real knowledge. Amen? So let's get into this. First of all, if knowledge is power, then we've got to understand that that power is by His righteousness, not ours. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now I want to point something out to you that is really cool right here. He's not talking about two persons of the Godhead. He's talking about one. He said, the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's calling Jesus God. He is referring to the deity of Jesus Christ. And so he says, having obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Now we, don't, we often skip those three verses and go right into eating the cake of verse 4. But we've got to eat. Our, our vegetables, and we've got to eat our meat before we get to verse 4. But we are going to get to verse 4 if you read the first three verses. Whereby are given, whereby, because of verses 1, 2, and 3, we are given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through Lust. First of all, knowledge is power, the power of Jesus Christ, we read in Philippians, the power of his resurrection by his righteousness. We read it in Philippians, we read it here. It is by his righteousness. Precious faith with us through the righteousness 
of our God, Jesus Christ. You see, by knowing Christ, we experience His righteousness, not ours. What does His righteousness look like? His righteousness looks like being baptized as Emmy today in faithfulness to her Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God today, just like over 2,000 years ago at Jordan, looked down and says, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. That, that was a picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus Christ was him kneeling in the garden and his sweat becoming his great drops of blood and praying, not my will, but thy will be done. His righteousness was when his mama wanted him to do a trick. And he said, woman, not yet. Not yet. His righteousness was when he said, I must needs go through Samaria, even a place that an Orthodox Jew would never, ever darken because his ministry was to go to that woman and win her to Jesus. His righteousness was when he looked at the woman and he humiliated the others by their own sin. He didn't mock them. He didn't bully them. He just turned their own righteousness back at them, a self-righteousness, right? Right? When they took up stones to stone her, and he said, just drew in the dirt. Some have speculated that he may have been drawing something from the Old Testament, something about hypocrisy. But then he looks, and they all left when he said, he without sin cast the first stone. He said, where are your accusers? I, said, I don't know. They've left. Can you imagine how she must have felt? She knew her life was not just in peril. Her life was over. Her life was over. She was going to die. And in her mind, surely she knew she deserved it, right? Wasn't she was innocent. Let's not forget that. But the one who held all the cards, the one who has never sinned, never will sin, said, I forgive you. I forgive you. That's the righteousness of Jesus. The righteousness that is so pure that when a woman touched the hem of his garment, he could feel it leave him. Who never talked back to his parents. Who never had an envious, covetous thought. Who never lost his temper. You say, well, he got angry. Yeah, but he didn't lose his temper. He had full control of it. That's what righteousness of Christ looks like. And when we have power, listen, we will learn. Some of us need to learn this really quickly. When we are crucified with Christ and the power of his righteousness reigns supreme, we will learn to be quiet. Jesus stood before Pilate. And Pilate brought accusation. They say this and they say that. What say ye? The Bible says Jesus didn't open his mouth. Wasn't that fulfillment of prophecy? A man acquainted with grief. Because he knew 
What was about to happen was God's will for his life, and that's why he left eternity. That's righteousness. When you can say something back, but you don't have to. Listen, young people, let Jesus fight your battles. You're worried about your reputation. There's people getting shot over their reputation. There's people, oh, well, they're disrespecting me. Get used to it. If you're ever going to get married, they're not going to roll the toothpaste like you want it. They're not going to put the roll on it the way you want it. They're not going to take the garbage out when you want it. Things are just not going to work out. You're going to get a boss. That job you've looked for all your life, oh, I finally got the job I want, only to find out that boss is the most evil, hateful first cousin of Satan. Can anybody testify to that? But you can do that job because of his righteousness, not yours. If you're always changing marriage partners, changing churches, changing jobs, changing something, you're living in your own righteousness, not his. Because in his, there's rest. That's another story. By his righteousness, we find grace. He tells us that. Look. He said that having obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God... Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. What does that grace look like? I'm glad you asked. He tells us in Titus, chapter 3. He said, but after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. You can't earn it. You can't wash it away in a baptistry. You can't give it, give enough. You can't do enough. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That, my friends, is grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. You know what the definition of grace is? Unmerited favor. I've got news for you. I believe you're handsome. I believe you're beautiful. I believe you're smart. I mean, come on, you come to Eastside. You got to be pretty smart. You keep me as your pastor, that kind of weighs against you. But listen, no matter how pretty, no matter how much money, no matter how smart, no matter how strong. Would you all agree, senior adults, there's always going to be somebody that's got more money? There's always going to be somebody in more authority? Somebody who's smarter? Somebody that, listen, we're lying to our kids when we teach them. Now, we need to say, you're the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. You can talk about that. You can talk about how you're the smartest, most beautiful to me. But we need to let them know in the economy of God, they're the most precious thing to him. The world don't care. That's what grace is. Grace is loving when you don't deserve it. Grace by his righteousness. Peace 
because of his righteousness. Ephesians 2.14 tells us this. He expressly tells us he is our peace. He's our peace. You know, I, I, I like the idea of, you know, the peace we've saw recently, peace accords with uh, Israel and uh, the United Arab Emirates. That's great. That's great right now. And one day there's going to be even more. I mean, all the Muslim nations and the Jewish nations and all the other nations, and they're all going to come together. But it ain't going to be the real kind of peace. The only real peace is found in the center of God's will at the feet of Jesus. And I got news for you. I don't care how and what you believe in which, which theory you believe about end times, but Jesus is going to rule this world in peace. He is our peace. Peace with what? Peace with God. Because listen, without Jesus Christ, we are alienated from the holiness and righteousness that is God. He tells us in Romans this very explicitly. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Does the Bible not say they, they've polled They've polled Americans. They've polled church members. They've polled, I've heard polls in Christian schools that believe ultimately all roads lead to one. And just because they don't believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior does not necessarily mean they can't go to heaven. Church, that's in our community. That's your family members. Some of you may even think that. But I want to let you know something. Before you'll ever stand before God, and you can say all you want, imagine all you want, hope against hope all you want at a funeral, but a person that died without Christ is not going to be in heaven, and you're not going to see him again unless you're lost too. No matter how much we want to say, oh, we're going to see him again, we're going to walk together again. And I'm thinking, that was the most hellacious, ungodly person I've ever knew in my life. If you see them again, it's not going to fare well for you. We don't like that, do we? Statistically, how many is going to heaven and how many is going to hell? In my mind, I think 75-25. 75 hell, 25 heaven. But that's probably being very, very, very gracious. What I do know is Jesus Christ, the loving Savior who was nailed to a cross, said the way is very broad and very wide. It's the biggest, widest interstate you've ever seen, smoothest ride you've ever rode on. It leads to destruction. But the way to glory very narrow, very straight. And here's the thing. He said, few there be that find it. Peace with God comes only through Jesus Christ. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. You can't pray to God without going through Jesus. Can't do it. I know we say, Jesus, help me today. And I get it because I've said it. Jesus is God. But if you want to be technical, 
You say, Heavenly Father, did Jesus not teach us that? And we do so when we end it, and we've got to be careful. Don't get lazy with this. And I'll be honest with you, it draws me up, even though I know they're intense, right? Don't get in the habit of closing your prayer without saying, in Jesus' name, and mean it. Because you didn't get to the throne of God without Jesus. Y'all hear what I'm saying? At the end of chapter 9 and 10 of Hebrews, when he tells us in the whole book, Jesus is better than Moses, Jesus is better than the angels, Jesus is better than, than all the prophets, he's better than Aaron, he's better than all the priests, he then says he's a better sacrifice. And when he gets to that point in chapter 10, saying Jesus died once for all, then we see the fullness of why we can, in chapter 4, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can approach a holy, righteous God because of the love and righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. And then we have peace with ourselves. You know, the biggest problem, a lot of the problem, is we're just not happy with ourselves. That's why we keep jumping around in hobbies and habits and we keep looking for something else that's going to make us happy. We, we travel, we do all these other things. We, we say, well, this person don't make me happy. I'll go to someone else. I'll go some, do something else. That's why these pew, these chairs are empty. It's not because we got a problem with the church. It's because we got a problem with ourselves. We're empty. We're hollow shells. We have no peace. He said, for to be carnally minded is death. But spiritually minded is life and peace. To have the mind of Christ is peace. Knowledge is power. And that power comes by His righteousness unto grace and unto peace. Knowledge is power by His power. If you're going to have power, then you've got to understand real power is coming from the power source, the real power source. Look in verse 3. Look in verse 3. He said... According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Can I tell you that for about three weeks I've been chewing on verse three. And the, I mean, I've been eating spiritual liver. You say, do you not like liver? Yeah, I don't either. And so you get a piece in your mouth, and the more you chew it, the bigger it gets. Well, verse 3, I love it, but the more I read it, the bigger it got. It was overwhelming me. The, the, the bigness of Jesus Christ and his righteousness and his power, it is a, listen, it's a power unknown to the lost. It is a power never tapped into in the world. Oh, through nuclear power, our ships can sail for years and years and years. But the power of God never fades. Isn't it always true? I love cordless tools. But it's when you need it the most is when the battery usually dies. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And every time you pull the trigger... It's full 
force. He tells us that by His power, it is a God power. By His power. Not our power, not some made up, but by His power is given unto us. His what kind of power? What kind of power does it say? What? Divine. What kind of, what is divine? It's God power. It's omnipotent. What does omnipotent mean? All, omni, all powerful. All powerful over creation. Now think about it. this scales, scans everything. Over creation, he spoke it. Over death, he conquered it. Over life, because he is it. And over eternity, because he lives in it. He is God. Jesus is God. And it is by that power we have life. Kind of life. Abundant life. When we live in that power, he gives us power even in the face of adversity. I don't know about you. But since March 15th, it's been a mental, spiritual, emotional roller coaster. Pastors plan. That's what we do. We pray and plan. You see, I will meet with Michelle and with Joey and with Andrew and with Neil and with the deacons and we'll talk about men's ministries, steak suppers and wild game suppers and vacation Bible schools and we'll talk about all this stuff and, and when it first started, I'm just going to tell you, when it first started, I said it, it'll be over by Easter. We'll, we'll, you know, like I knew something about it. But I didn't feel bad. The president and a bunch of know-it-alls said the same thing. Well, then we said, oh, well, you know, okay, it's not going to be Easter. Let's plan on somewhere around the week after Memorial Day. Everybody will be gone Memorial Day. We'll plan on going back week after Memorial Day. Came and went. And then we said, well, okay, let's just take a deep breath and we'll just plan on when school starts back. That's already moved two or three times. Now, Pinewood's back. Claxton's fixing to start back. Church, it's time to come back. And I'm not being reckless, but it is time for us to decide, is he the God of divine power and divine life? And some don't need to come back. I'm not saying everybody, there are people with compromised immune system. We must still respect that. I mean, I've went into hospitals where I had to scrub up, mask up and all that because of the weakened immune systems of the people I was visiting. I'm not saying be reckless, but I'm going to tell you, there's many in our church and around the world who have continually and progressively used, if we can go back to school, we can go to the beach, we can go to Walmart, we can go out to eat, I'm going to tell you something. Church, we need to go to church. And we need to worship the Lord because that's where abundant life is found. We're still doing it right. Right? We're still separating. I don't see anybody shaking hands. And as hard as it is for some, we're not hugging necks. I hate it. Some wear masks, some don't, but everybody's respectful and everybody's doing it the right way. We've got room. It's life. It's abundant life, but guess what? 
There are people doing it right, still got it. And there are people who have died from it. Even though that statistic is extremely, extremely low. But we know people, people we have worked with, people in our subdivision, people in our community. We know that family members. But church, I want to remind you, not being reckless, don't take my words out of context, but if we're saved, then who are we depending on? You see, he is not only the God of power of abundant life, but life eternal. I asked Emmy in the back, I said, Emmy, if something were to happen, when you get older, and I said, and you leave this world and you die, where are you going? And she didn't look like this. She said, heaven. That ought to be the way we look at it. Hey, you know why we, we want to live as long as we can here? Because we don't see how rich it is over there. Paul saw it. He didn't want to come back. Paul saw it and said, I want to go there. Lazarus went, and when he come back, they tried to kill him. He just laughed at him. Kill me, baby. I'll be right back where I was in the presence of God. We just don't know. But then by his power, we find godliness. What kind of godliness? His godliness. What is godliness? It's holiness. And he said, be ye holy even as I am holy. That means walking in the fullness of who Christ is. One who knew no sin. So I can't live without sin. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But with Christ, we can face the temptations of this world and overcome them by His grace and His glory. But then, knowledge is power because He has called us. He has called us, He said in verse 3, He said, called us to glory and virtue. Called us by His glory, not ours. What, did he, what happened when Jesus was born? Glory to God in the highest. Peace. Right? Peace on earth. Glory. When we experience the knowledge of His power, God calls us to His glory for His glory. Not, hey, look at me. Look who I am. Look what I can do. No. Look at who Jesus is. Look what Jesus has done for my life. Has Jesus saved you? Has Jesus changed you? I'll be honest with you. I went back to uh, my 30th class reunion not because I missed them. Not because I missed school. Oh, I wish I could go back. No, 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 no. No, no. I, I, greatest day of my life when I got saved when I got married, when my kids were born, but sliding in right on the end of that is the day I walked out of high school. And they gave me my diploma, and I said, I ain't got to come back. They said, you ain't got to come back. I was so thrilled. Never one time have I ever missed it. But I went back. My buddy, Mark, he said, hey, let's go. I'll go if you go. That's what we always pull on each other. And I've done it to him, so he did it to me, and we went. I said, if I go on to go for one purpose, to show them I'm not who they remember, that God has radically changed my life. 
I want him to see Jesus in me. And Mark and I stood together, and they called on us to pray. Even though they were drinking and doing other things, they recognized who we are in Christ. And I pray we brought glory. But then virtue. Flip back one page, and you'll find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were you called. Why? Called unto what? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. That's virtue, church. Harmless, blameless, fearless. That ought to be a question. You ought to write that, put it on a card, and put it on your dash, put it on your mirror, a mirror in your bathroom or somewhere very conspicuous. Today, in the power of Christ, Lord, make me harmless, blameless, and fearless. It's a pretty good motto. That's who Christ was. He was harmless as a dove, wise as a serpent, he tells us to be. He was blameless. Even when they tried to say, oh, you're blaspheme, you did this, he turned it on them. He was blameless. And he was fearless. Listen, in closing, I want to ask Jimmy to come. LaDonna. And I want to hit this last point. By his righteousness, knowledge is power. The power of his righteousness. The power of his divine authority and power over all things. And knowledge is power because he's called us to his glory, he's equipped us. He's called us to virtue. He has instilled in us and directs us. But I want to really bless your heart with this. We've read the first three verses, so we get to read verse four. But let's not skip verse one. He said, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to them, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God. By his power and in his authority, we, are, we have been made to be partakers of his precious faith. Think about this. This is the same. He said, like precious faith. What kind of faith is that? The same faith that Peter and Andrew, James, and John, and Bartholomew, and Nathaniel, and Paul, and all those of the New Testament. The same faith as the apostles and all other believers. You're no more special than them, though they're no more special, but we all come in the same faith. Do you know how you were saved? The same way Emmy was saved is the same way Paul was saved, through faith in Jesus Christ. Y'all get that, right? And it's the same faith we live by. We live by the same faith that brought Peter from a denying undedicated, undisciplined follower of Jesus to one who gave his life for Christ. Precious faith. But then we're partakers of precious promises. He said in verse 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of what? The divine nature. 
having escaped the corruption that is in the world through love. He doesn't mean escaping it future tense, but past tense. Because we're saved, we've escaped the power of lust in our lives. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Because God is our power, not us. Those who have obtained the precious faith should be experiencing His precious promises that are exceedingly great. Several of you, and I, I know, Dana, you posted a picture of rainbows recently. And I always love to see a believer post it. Because it's not what the world makes it out to. Believers remember what the rainbow represents. See, the world tries to hijack everything in the Bible. But a rainbow is a promise that God will never destroy the earth with a flood again. And for 10,000 years, God has kept that promise. What about, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? It's a pretty good promise, isn't it? What about all those who believe in me and confess me with your mouth shall be saved? Is that a precious promise? There are conditional promises and there are unconditional promises. But all those precious promises has been given to us, gifted to us by the power of Jesus Christ. By his power and for his glory. As you stand with me. Listen. Beloved, seeing that you know these things beforehand, beware. May we pray, God, may I know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. Lord, may I experience your power, your authority, your grace, your peace, the abundancy of your life doing it all for your glory and in your virtue. If you don't know Jesus Christ, your Savior, today's the day. But church, you've been living and running your life on empty. No power. No power. You're just trudging through life. And it's time to get plugged in. It's time to get plugged into the power source and say, God, overwhelm me with your power through your precious faith that I may experience your precious promises that Jesus is Lord of my life. Come to Him. He's the only way. Come to Him as we sing.